Let's talk about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So coming into this film, I have a pretty good idea of what the film was about. I had seen a lot of scenes from this movie, both from YouTube and a professor whose favorite film has been this. And I'd been wanting to watch this film for a long time, but I could never find it on anything. But recently, I looked for the first time in months, and for some reason, Hulu it has just been kind of killing it lately. I'm not sponsored by Hulu, although if they gave me all, any amount of money, they gave me $20, I would say Hulu is the greatest thing ever. I have no Shane, as anyone on here can possibly imagine. But it, I found it on Hulu and I thought, oh, this is we could watch. I've watched a lot of Westerns, of course, you know, as early as John Ford to, you know, the Coen brothers and some more modern Westerns and a lot of things in between. I think it's one of those genres that the more you watch, the more you feel like there is to watch. When I first started watching movies, I got to this point, I was probably, I had seen I don't know, maybe 300, 400 films at the time, and I thought, you know, eventually I'm going to run out of great films, and they're just going to be bad films. And I was terrified that I was going to get to that point, but as, what I found is the more films I watch, the more I learn that there's just so much more out there. And I think it's the same sort of thing with westerns. The more westerns I watch, the more great westerns there seem to be. So coming into this film, I had pretty high expectations, which isn't the best thing to have coming into any sort of film, especially a film that, well, has been talked about a lot and I knew a lot about. I knew a lot about the characters. I watched multiple scenes from this film. People had been studying this film. I knew a lot about it. And in fact, I knew so much about the film that when I started watching the film, I had to wonder if I'd seen the film before. And I was pretty sure that I hadn't, but to be completely honest, I wasn't entirely sure and had to go on IMDb and Letterboxd and make sure that I hadn't seen the scene before because there are so many scenes in the film that I've seen that felt like I've seen the whole film, even though apparently I'd never seen the whole film before. So we start off with our opening credits, which is a clear homage to the early westerns and even before John Ford, the silent westerns, even though by many standards John Ford created what is now considered the western. Westerns were created before that. Of course, one of the most uh, famous first films was The Robbery on a Train, which in many ways is a sort of Western, even though it sort of takes place in modern times at the time, early 1900s. It feels sort of Western because it's kind of what we think of as Westerns. And so on the left-hand side is basically a screen playing this silent film of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And on the right side is our credits, and of course you have, you know, uh, Paul Newman and the wonderful and always amazing Robert Redford, and it's going through the list. And you're watching this kind of film on the left as this black space takes up the whole right of the screen, just slowly uh, coming in with different names. And I actually love this opening credit scene, and I have a lot of admiration for films that actually start with a credit scene. I know people complain about it a lot because we don't really do it anymore. Credit scenes have now been pushed to the end, which is a true tragedy, and I understand why they do it. I find um, nowadays anyone can sort of find anything they want about any film going to Wikipedia or IMDb or Letterboxd or a million other places, so do you really need the credits the way you used to? Not really. If you want to know who's in the film, if you want to know who directed it, who was the editor, who did this, who did that, who was the gaffer, who was the best script, who was the 15th AD, you can go and look that up on Google. 
but I still think there is a certain magic and of course this film in many ways is very nostalgic of those times even though at this point this film is 52 years old but even then it was the entire film is an homage to westerns and also a sort of twist on western which is what I kind of want to get into next this film actually isn't I would say a western which is a strange thing because anyone who's seen the film would say yes Butch Cassidy's on can clearly a western but I actually don't think it is and I think that can be proven by the very opening scene now what's beautiful about the opening scene is it's not shot in your typical uh, color and it's not shot in black and white either. It's shot in what uh, Christopher Nolan's first film, The Following, is shot in and what a lot of the films of the early 20s and 30s were shot in, which is the sort of brown sepia. And it's an absolutely wonderful opening scene and it is very slow playing out. There are very few cuts. The director takes a lot of chances not only in using the sepia coloring, but in the very uh, interesting lighting in the scene and just how slowly he's willing to play it out, which means you have to depend a lot on these act actors, who of course are incredible actors, Paul Newman and Robert Redford, both great in their own right. And you also have to leave heavily on the script in a way that in a lot of Westerns really don't, because you're constantly running around and shooting things, you really don't need that great of a script. You know, as long as someone has a gun, it makes a film a lot easier. I always think when I watch Say a film like Wrath of Man, there's a certain fun to that film, but it's very easy to make Wrath of Man fun because people have guns and they're shooting and fighting. It's easy to make John Wick a great film, but I think it's much harder to make a film like this a, a great film because if you actually look at the film as a whole, if you look at the plot, not a lot really happens and the fact that they can make a whole lot out of so little is a real credit to our director here. And so in the opening scene, we kind of see who everyone is. We see Sundance Kid, who is, of course, played by Robert Redford, is basically this overly serious, uh, no-nonsense, never-cheats, although, you know, has funny ways of seeing the law, is an expert shooter, and, you know, uh, basically will only leave if he's asked to stay. Sundance Kid, or excuse me, uh, Butch Cassidy, is much lighter on his feet. He's kind of happy-go-lucky. He's always smiling and he's always using his wits. Sundance is always a fighter. Butch Cassidy is a thinker. He is... Butch Cassidy is the brains to Sundance's bronze. So this opening scene <laughs> plays out in a, in a really humorous way as so much of this film does and I wasn't sure what tone to take at this moment because up to this point Although I've seen quite a few westerns, of course Coen Brothers sort of have westerns that are darkly humorous, especially, say, uh, Buster Scruggs, but that humor is always has a dark undertone to it that this film doesn't really have. It's really, I would argue, not a western, but a comedy, and not a western comedy, just a comedy that so happens to take place in the west. I think the western identification of this film is really more of a setting than anything else. I know people often say, well, the setting is a character in and of itself, which, first of all, doesn't really make any sense at all. A setting can never be a character because that assumes that it changes and has thoughts, and it doesn't. It's just a place. Manhattan is never a character in any of the films. It's just Manhattan, the place. Unless, of course, the film is actually about the city of Manhattan, then I guess it could be a character. And so this humor scene plays out, and Robert Redford ends up leaving because he's asked to stay. And he's walking away, and the guy who is terrified of being shot says, you know, how good are you, Sundance? And Sundance pulls out his gun and fire and shoots the gun out of the guy's hand and onto the ground like four or five times in a row. 
and it's just wonderful and it just makes you smile and it's so much fun and in that short three minutes you know everything that's going to happen in this film which is just great filmmaking in many ways the entire film can be put about in this shorter film it's really a short film that is analogous to the longer film basically in this film you're going to have uh, Butch Cassidy, he's going to try to think his way out and smile his way out, kind of uh, shake a lot of hands, you know, uh, politically get his way out of the situation. Sundance is going to shoot his way out. He is always going to go for violence first. And when they leave, you can see that they've both sort of won in their own way. Sundance has won because he shows how powerful and great he is. Butch has won because they're leaving and no one's getting hurt, which is the opposing goals of these two people. Sundance, he's fine with violence now. He's not necessarily preferable to violence, but he's not bothered by it. Butch, he doesn't like violence, and throughout the film, he does everything in his power not to hurt anyone, which, again, kind of plays into the humorous aspects of this film. So th then we they start walking uh, across the western sky, or, you know, western land, and that's when we move from sepia to color. And to be honest, in this opening scene, I... I kind of wondered, is this whole film in sepia? I, I, I couldn't really remember in the scenes that they were in sepia or black and white or in color. And that beautiful fade to color is just magnificent. And you can't help but think of a film like The Wizard of Oz, which of course does a very similar thing. And certainly to a certain extent, it is an homage to that. But I think it actually works better in this film because the colors aren't absurd and silly. They're beautiful and magnificent, but they're also realistic and grounded and in a strange way. The sepia of the beginning of the film, unlike, say, in The Wizard of Oz, feels unrealistic. Where in Wizard of Oz, that's realism, right? That's real life. But when they go to color, that's where realism sort of starts. The beginning of the film, much like the silent film in the opening credits, isn't really a part of real life. It's more about the legend of these people. And I think that's what this film ends up being about. It's the legend of these people. It's not actually about who these people are, but the legend that they leave behind. So you see them walking around and they're talking about, uh, you know, we should move to Bolivia, or we should move there or there. And again, it, you can see that Sundance is quiet to himself, doesn't really talk a whole lot. And Butch Cassidy is just this happy-go-lucky guy who's always, you know, just looking for the next thing, always just having a good time. And they get back to their base, their quarters, whatever you want to call it, and there's a sort of coup, an uprising, a revolt of sorts. Basically, for one reason or another, one of the goons, you can call him, thinks that he should be a leader now. He's like, hey, Butch, you haven't been around much, who, of course, is the leader. You know, it's time we, we have someone new. And Butch is like, hey, I'm the one who brought you guys all together. I'm the one here. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm the leader now. And Butch is like, well, I don't want to be violent, blah, blah, blah. And um, they point out, well, you know, if anyone challenges your authority, you have to, like, the rules are you have to fight. And they say, gun or knife, gun or knife. And he's like, oh, I don't want to shoot you. And the revolter says, okay, knife it is. And that's when you see Butch Cassidy start walking up to the guy with the giant knife and saying, well, wait a minute, we have to start making rules. We have to do, you know, create these certain boundaries and blah, blah, blah. And as he's talking, he kicks uh, the revolter. And then continuing to talk, he then beats him basically to a pulp, showing again that while Butch Cassidy 
is lighthearted and never wants to hurt anyone. He's willing to do what it takes to be the leader. And again, that he is someone who fights with his brains, not with his body. The guy is like three times his size. He is a sort of Sherlock Holmes in the Robert Downey Jr. version of Sherlock Holmes, where, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he's always the smartest guy. He's always leading the way. Or Benedict Cumberbatch, I guess, Sherlock is probably a better example. But after this, they tell him the guy, the revolter's plan. And he's like, oh yeah, that's a pretty good plan. Let's actually do it, which is to rob the train twice. First, they're going to rob it as it's going to the bank. Then they're going to rob it after it comes back to the bank because no one would rob the same train twice. That's just absolutely absurd. So they go to rob the, bank, the uh, train the first time. And as they are robbing it, they are held up by this guy who's protecting the safe. Just this older man who thinks it's his duty to protect it. And of course, Butch Cassidy is being charming and kind. He's like, look, I don't want to blow you up. No one wants to get hurt here. No one has to get hurt. It's not even your money. Just open the door and all will be easy. He's like, no, I'm not going to open the door. So Butch Cassidy blows him up. And the first thing he does when he walks into the room is he checks on that man. Now the man is injured, but very much alive. So they break open the safe, steal the money, and they get away. Cut to robbing the bank or the train for the second time on their way back after well, a, a short scene basically where we meet a couple of characters, uh, including the what, what seems to be a sort of brothel where they kind of hide out at, and just the what what reminds me very much of the scene in Django where uh, the Ku Klux Klan members are together and they're just kind of questioning each other, and the leaders like trying to get them to go, and they're like, I don't really want to, which is basically what's happening here in this film is. You have the sheriff being like, okay, guys, let's get together. Let's grab our guns. Let's go get them. And they're like, we don't want to do that. There's no reason we would do that. And of course, this whole scene is being watched over by Butch Cassidy and Sundance while at a brothel. Again, showing their different ways of experiencing the world. Butch Cassidy is all about the moment. He's willing to be with anyone or everyone. Sundance, he's, uh, as he says, you know, I'm going to go find me a woman I'm not particular, and he goes on to list like 20 things that this woman has to have. And that's where we cut to a really peculiar scene that at the moment I was uncomfortable with, but I thought was a really intriguing point in the film. And I understand why some people may have criticism for this scene, especially today, which is the scene is basically Sundance Kid is sitting in a room and a woman is getting undressed and he cocks his gun at her and says continue to get undressed, which feels very uncomfortable and a little on the rapey scale, which it's sort of supposed to. And then we come to find out that that is his partner, his girlfriend, his longtime love interest, and this is sort of a role-playing game that they play. Now, I know there are going to be some that argue, well, you should never joke about those kind of things. You can never joke about, you know, that sort of uh, sexual violence or that sort of thing. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I felt uncomfortable at the beginning of the scene, but by the end, I, I sort of bought into it and I in, enjoyed the scene and I thought it was funny. Honestly, I don't think we should hold anything sacred. I, I go back to something Taika Waititi said when he was making Jojo Rabbit, which is a lot of people criticize him. He said, hey, you should not make... Uh, a humorous film about the Nazis. And Taika Waititi's response basically was that if we can't make fun of these people, they are always going to hold power over us. If we can't laugh at them, they will always be in control. The only way I believe, and Taika Waititi I suppose to a certain degree believes, to really beat down power or oppression or these sort of hateful things is to make fun of them. And that's sort of what's happening here. He's 
our uh, filmmaker and director and everyone involved is sort of poking fun at this machismo that he sort of exudes. Unlike Death Wish, where it's sort of celebrating this sort of machismo, and as Andrew uh, aptly point out, it's more about you know his manliness and regaining his manliness after being what he basically cuckolded in a certain sense. In this film, it's about Sundance, who really is always at the whim of his female partner. He does what, you know, he loves her first. She always comes first. So the next day, uh, Butch Cassidy comes with a bike, and there's an interesting montage where Butch Cassidy and the wife are just just riding around on this new fangled thing called a bike, and behind it is playing the song raindrops keep falling on my head or whatever the name of that song is and it's weird a lot of the score in this film is really strange because it's very anachronistic and i don't i'm not sure what to make of it i especially at this moment it sort of took me out of the film i get that it's in a certain sense kind of making fun of the of the western and trying not to take the western truth too seriously and one of the reasons i don't really consider this film a western because it doesn't follow enough of the tropes of a western and the score is so strange and this music is just kind of lighthearted and sort of silly and i just thought it was um to be honest i'm still not really sure how i feel about it. i still feel kind of weird about the whole thing so the scene ends butch cassidy comes back and the woman asks, you know, why why never we get together? Why it was always me and the Sundance kid? And he says, oh, we are together. And you can see there's a genuine love between them. And there's this amazing joke where Sundance asks, are you trying to steal my woman? And Butch Cassie says something to the effect of, well, what if I was? And, he said, and <laughs> Sundance just walks away. Oh, I, I just butchered that, didn't I? It, it was funnier in the movie, I, I, I promise. But it, it shows... A relationship between the three of them that is very close it reminds me a lot of Francois Truffaut's and perhaps there's a little bit of inspiration from this film uh, Jules and Jim where it's basically three people two men and a woman who have this relationship where they're all kind of loving each other and it's never really you know it's not really a love triangle because they all love each other equally and this film feels very much like that well of course the relationship between Butch and uh, the woman whose name I cannot remember is completely platonic it feels like there's still a certain love there even if that love isn't necessarily sexual to the degree that it is between sundance and the woman and this is when we get and then when we cut to the second uh, train robbery which is what I, I referenced earlier but I, I figured that i sort of missed a couple of things which i have a tendency to do so we get back to the second train robbery and funny enough as they're robbing the train, the same person won't open the door who did not open the door before. It's the same person on guard, and he's like, his name's Woodcock, and Butch Cassie says, Woodcock, I don't want to have to blow you up twice. And they basically uh, take a, a female hostage who's like, I'm not, I'm not going to have any of this. I'm, I'm, I'm getting off this train. I'm doing what I want. And would, of course, they take her hostage because maybe not the greatest move in the world to to come after, like, six armed men, which I love that she just walks right up to them, and they're not going to... Shooter, because they're like, well, we can't just go around shooting people because they're not evil people. They really just care about the money. They're not violent criminals. And so they basically end up tricking Woodcock to open the door instead of the woman crying out. It's actually Butch Cassidy, which again just shows his sort of smarts and charm. 
and they go to try to open the safe, but they don't have uh, enough dynamite at the time. So they go and put a bunch more dynamite, they light it, and the whole train car explodes. Which, again, kind of goes into the humor of the film and just kind of how silly it is and just the witty comments between Sundance and Butch Cassie. It's very much like a buddy cop film in a lot of ways. It perhaps is closer to a buddy cop film than it is a Western. It's really just these two uh, bouncing off each other back and forth, back and forth. And so money's flying everywhere. And we see this train coming towards them. They're like, what's that? It's a train with only two cars. And gets closer and closer and it shows at this moment just the uh the brilliance of his director and his ability to create a sense of suspense the doors open and what we assume to be uh sheriffs or cops or just people basically after our robbers which casting sundance kid are are coming for them so they of course they jump on their horses and they try to get away two of them are shot immediately and the four of them split off in two different directions. Butch Cassidy and Sundance can go one day, one way, the other two robbers go the opposite way. The entire group follows Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, which Sundance asks the Butch Cassidy, uh, why are they following us? And he says, oh, well, I guess we're just something special, which again just shows the sort of lightheartedness of the film. And perhaps one of the most important things about this film is it does not take death seriously. Unlike so many Westerns, it sort of has this um, attitude about death that it's just something that happens to all of us, and who cares? It's, I suppose, on the opposite end of the spectrum of the last film I watched, Stardust Memories, where Woody Allen is obsessed with death. This film is like, oh, you just die. It just happens. Like, that's just how it is. And so there's probably about 20 minutes of just them chasing each other and them trying to outwit them and outwitting each other, but they, they just keep coming back again and again and again. And this, this is one of the moments that I really admire in the film because nothing really happens in these 20 minutes and what little does happen pretty much just happens between Butch Cassidy and Sundance. There's not a whole lot of conflict. There's really not a whole lot going on. It's just them going one way and the good guys, cops, I suppose in this film technically, the bad guys chasing after and them just unable to elude them until we basically get to this cliff where we find out that Sundance doesn't know how to swim but their only way to get out is of course to jump in this river. So they jump in the river and of course get away. Now this marks about the halfway point of the film. We go back to uh, the house where our female love interest, whose name again I should probably know but do not know, lives and they say hey we need to go we need to leave and they're like well let's go to bolivia because we've always wanted to go to bolivia and they decide to go to bolivia and this is a really interesting moment in the film and this is where the film basically splits itself in half because this is actually two films i'd argue there's the first half of the film which is butch Cassidy and sundance robbing trains and being chased after by the deputies and then the second half of the film which takes place in bolivia they don't actually have a whole lot to do with each other, and in many ways it's kind of two separate films. And the way they get to Bolivia is really interesting. You can tell that, well, we don't really have the budget to you know, travel all these places and we don't want to do that dumb thing where it's just like a map. So they do this sort of what feels documentary-esque, although I know at the time these type of document, you know, the Ken Burns style of documentary, which would become famous in, what, the, the 90s and early 2000s. This was sort of similar to that in sort of this documentary style in sepia photos which is just so much cheaper than having to build these giant sets and moving all these places and it just shows them sort of traveling in this really ingenious and thoughtful way. Now I think the director realized how 
brilliant this was and perhaps got a little too excited about it and I think the scene runs too long. I think this is a scene that can be about 20-30 eh, seconds. It runs on for a couple of minutes. It just runs on honestly too long. Like at a certain point you're like yeah we get they're traveling from one place to another. They get a little too detailed. They get too excited about the fact that they figured this out. Maybe leave it shorter. But we get to Bolivia, and Sundance absolutely hates Bolivia. He's like, this is the worst place ever. And, of course, they have this back and forth, and they go uh, the next day to go to rob a bank, and they realize that neither of them can speak Spanish. And so the next scene, a couple of scenes, is them trying to learn Spanish. They're not learning Spanish so they can communicate with people. They're only learning Spanish so they can rob a bank. So they're reading, you know, how stick your hands up or you know arriba arriba or these different things and they're <laughs> it's it's a pretty humorous moment in the film which again shows that this film really isn't about shooting people or bank robberies or taking anything that seriously it's about the silliness of the genre as a whole the silliness of robbing banks for a living so they go to rob a bank and they're kind of struggling with the spanish but they kind of fumble their way through and then we see another montage of them robbing banks. They're kind of back at it again. They're back where they were at the beginning of the film, except now they're in Bolivia. They're living the life. They have fancy things. Everything is going their way. That is until, well, it isn't going their way. They realize that the person who was chasing them back in the Americas has once again found them in South America. And they're not really sure what to do. They can't keep doing the same thing. They're going to get caught. They're going to get killed. So they're like, well, what if we try to go straight? So they become guards for this guy who basically moves money back and forth. And he goes to a bank that they had robbed before. And they're all like, you know, hats down and trying to disguise themselves. And then another silly moment. And like a lot of this film, it's based a lot on physical comedy. This film actually reminds me a lot more of, say, the work of Buster Keaton than it does of a John Ford. It's more concerned with the physical comedy and silliness of it than it is with the more serious take of your John Ford. And so as they're traveling back up the mountain with the money, the guy they're traveling with gets shot immediately, and they're like, well, what do we do? So they throw the money up the, or, you know, a couple feet away from them, and they run away. So we assume they just leave. And then you see the, the, the banditos, uh, you know, holding the money and they're all like, oh, I got the money in my hand. You know, they're all excited. They're like, oh, look at all this money. And Sundance and Butch come, guns a-blazing. And they're like, okay, which ones do you want to take, Butch? And Butch, at this moment, admits that he's never shot anyone before, which is both hilarious and tragic. And, of course, at this moment, Sundance points this out. I'm not sure why I'm saying, of course. How would, how would you know? Well, I guess you've probably seen the movie. But anyway, Sundance is like, well, this is, a, this is a good moment to learn that, which is kind of playing into the irony of this whole film and how it's kind of, it's flipping the genre on its head, which it's not really doing that as much as it is sort of poking fun at a genre that by 1969 has been around for like 40 plus years. It's a pretty old genre and at this point, a pretty tired genre. And then there's this interesting moment where all eight, six, however many banditos are killed by these two men. And it's shown in slow motion and there's almost this darkness behind us because this is actually the first real death you see in the film. At, well, it's the first real death you see by Butch Cassidy or Sundance. This is the first time they've killed anybody. 
even though there's been a lot of shooting, a lot of fighting, Butch Cassidy has never killed anyone. Sundance hasn't killed a single person inside the film. And when we cut to the next scene, it's a dark scene and it's on Butch Cassidy trying to cope with the fact that he killed someone. And you can tell that it, it's actually eating at him. And I think if this was a different film, I think this would be an, an uh, the direction the film would go. I, I think I'm thinking about the film The Room, uh, or is it Room? It's the one with Brie Larson, not the Tommy Wiseau one. The the one that came out in like 2015-ish with uh, Brie Larson trapped in a room. Probably shouldn't name it the same thing as the, of course, extremely famous Tommy Wiseau film. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But it reminds me a lot of that film because when I came into that film, I thought the whole film was going to be them trapped and then them getting away. And at the end of the film, Brie Larson would be free. But after Brie Larson is free, there's still another hour of the film. And what that film actually ended up being concerned with is how do you deal with this? How do you live after this? It's not, and it's kind of pulling back the layer of, I suppose, you know, the, the movie magic of, oh, everything's better once they're free. This film, I think, had the opportunity to explore that if it was a different type of film. Because it was so lighthearted, it didn't really want to explore it that much. But there is this moment where you can see Butch Cassidy having to deal with the first time of killing someone, even though he lives in the wild, wild west and he's a robber. He's never had to deal with that sort of thing. And at that moment, he feels sort of uncomfortable with it. And so seeing that that didn't work, they try a couple of other things. They try robbing in jungles and a couple other things, and they realize that this just isn't going to work. Living here in Bolivia just um, apparently wasn't the greatest idea in the world. So the woman decides to go back home and says she'll meet them there and they are on their way back to the Americas and they stop at this restaurant where a, a kid serendipitously sees that his donkey has a, a specific sort of mark on it which he tells the sheriff and then they start firing at Butch Cassidy and Sundance who take cover in this, I mean, it's basically a house of, of some kind in this small little town. And then there is the final shootout, I suppose, which actually is probably a... 15 minute scene and I remember when the scene started I was like this doesn't make any sense there's only like 15 minutes left in this film how are they going to do this shootout and then have whatever happens after after that I didn't really understand what was going to happen and the shootout goes on and of course Sundance and Butch have their sort of back and forth back and forth and the longer it goes the clearer it is that this is kind of a doomed situation that they're not really going to get out of this alive and we cut to the sheriff and uh an army is basically coming, to, I mean, a, a quite literally an army comes towards them and they're like, you know, what, what seems to be a problem here? And he's like, oh, the, these guys, we can't get rid of them. Well, he's like, how many are there? And they're like, two. Two? How can you not kill two guys? And they're like, oh, well, they're the, the, Yank the banditos Yankees. So like, oh, and then they set up this entire army to kill these two people, which is, again, just absurd and silly and playing into the tropes of these kind of, you know, shooters who can shoot anyone and everyone are the best shooters around. And Butch Cassidy and Sundance are still hiding out in the house and they're both shot, both injured. And I, I again, look at the timestamps. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. There's only two minutes left in this film. I don't understand how they're going to get out of this and do, you know, the, the sort of final act of film where everything kind of wraps up. And Butch Cassidy and Sundance run out of the house and that's it. They stop on a freeze frame in sepia, and you hear shots being fired. Assume, presumably, why isn't assumably a word? Not important. Presumably, they're killed at that moment. But you don't see their deaths. All you see them is running out, freeze frame in sepia, and the slow pull out of this uh, freeze frame. 
which again goes back to my idea I had at the beginning of the film, that this film really isn't about these characters as people, it's about these characters as legends. The reason they a lot of times don't act like normal people, I think, or, you know, react in a lot of ways that would be normal, right? They, they're constantly uh, have these kind of witty comments uh, at these kind of absurd moments is because they're, they're legends, they're histories, they're stories, they're no different than, you know, in, any other mythical legend. And I think that's what this is about. And I think that's why you don't show their death, that why the director chooses not to shoot, chose uh, their death at the end is because he's concerned with them as the legend, not with them as actual people. So overall, I, th I think I'm gonna give this film a 7 out of 10. Through most of the film, I was going to give it an 8 out of 10. There are just a couple of moments that just didn't really fit with me right. I think the score is just strange, and I get that's kind of like, it's breaking the genre, but it just, I just don't think it works. The performances, of course, are absolutely incredible. There are some amazing visuals in this film. But the middle scene, and to be honest, I think everything in Bolivia sort of drags a little bit more in a way that the first half doesn't. And I think that's partly because the people who are after them in the first half never come back in the second half, or they do only for a short time. And there's really no comeuppets for that. It really doesn't, you know, it doesn't finish that story, which is strange. It kind of feels like two stories kind of smushed together. And of course it is basically two separate films, but there doesn't seem to be enough connection other than the fact that they both have to have Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, and the uh, female love interest. I really wanted to give this film an 8 out of 10. I really enjoyed this film. I had a really good time, but it just... I think some of the, the choices were strange. And the ending... I think I understand the point of the ending, but to be honest, I, it's not that I want like this you know, long, drawn-out ending, which is something I complain about a lot. I think it's better to end too early than too late, but I wanted more from the ending, and I came away from the film a little bit disappointed. So um, here's to hoping the next experience is a little bit better.